Let's stay standing as we come now to the scripture reading from which I will be preaching. Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 16, you'll find right there in the worship folder and also in the Pew Bibles if you wish to follow along in that way. Let's hear God's word. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. And help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junior, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those uh, workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me, as well, greet Ansicritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogos, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is God's word. Do please sit down. Now let's pray as we turn now to the Bible. We've already uh, sung some wonderful songs to God. Let's remember one of them as we turn now to the Bible. He leads me. Lord, would you um, continue to lead us sovereignly, providentially, and now through your word. And we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful followers of you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, The uh, men are on their retreat. Not all the men. There are men here as well, I can see. But uh, the men are away on a retreat this weekend. And uh, and so uh, we have been praying for them. We're glad that they're doing that. It's good to be here today. I was delegated the task of reading the Scripture passage because no one else wanted to read all those names. Um, It is a long list of names, isn't it? And uh, you're probably asking yourself, why is it here? It's fairly common for Paul to list some names, but there are a lot. And what is the purpose and the point of it? And what can we learn from it? Is this just a rather sentimental series of greetings or goodbyes at the end of the church retreat weekend in Rome? 
Is this the equivalent of uh, a friendly hug uh, at uh, the bus as you're saying goodbye after that retreat weekend? Is it simply a list of somewhat sentimental greetings? Is it just an ancient cultural norm that is not ours? Am I going to be asked to greet someone with a holy kiss this morning? I hope not. What is it here for? And what can I learn from it? What I want to uh, show us this morning is that actually this is far more than simply a list of somewhat sentimental greetings or merely a list of uh, somewhat unpronounceable names from ancient Rome. We sang one song in Latin, hear a bunch of other Latin names. It's Latin morning. But no, it's rather more than that. And really what we're seeing here is the extraordinary impact of an otherwise ordinary community when they put into practice uh, the things that Paul has been teaching them. I want to show you that's what's going on. I want to show you this is not merely um, sentimental greetings. I've got nothing against sentimental greetings. If you want to give me a hug afterwards, I'll be fine. But if you want to kiss me, I will not. But there's more than that. You know A.A. Uh, a. Milne, perhaps, the uh, Winnie the Pooh series of Pibgook and Kanga, you know, the lion, the tiger, tiger, lion, tiger, tigger, tigger, bouncing, you know, or, you know that stuff. At the end of the original A.A. A. Milne stories, there are some goodbyes. And one of them is of Piglet saying goodbye to Pooh. And he says something like this, um, you know, uh, uh, Pooh, are we going to be friends forever? And uh, then Piglet replies to Pooh, Longer than that, Piglet. You know, forever, longer. You are here, aren't you? You understand the point that it's longer than forever, therefore eternity. It's meant to be funny. A.A. Milne wrote it, so I don't feel bad you didn't laugh. But uh, yes, you are here. Good. Is that simply what's happening? No, it is not. Let me show you how. That is not merely the case. Look down with me at the passage in the worship folder or in your Bibles. And I want to see you. I want to show you a connecting theme. It's one simple little phrase. Verse 2, in the Lord, that you may welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, in Christ Jesus, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, in Christ, they were in Christ before me. Verse 8, in the Lord, beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, in Christ fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, in Christ, approved in Christ. Verse 11, in the Lord, those in the Lord. Verse 12, in the Lord, worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13, in the Lord, chosen in the Lord. And that is not to mention a slight variation of the same repeated phrase in verse 5, to Christ. And then verse 16, of Christ. This is a not-so-subtle technique of trying to make a point. This is a not-so-subtle technique of trying to make a point. This is a not-so-subtle technique of trying to make a point. This is a not-so-subtle technique of trying to make a point. 
In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, of Christ, to Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Do you get it? So every time you see in the Bible, in Christ, it is not necessarily making this point, but very clearly here it is, namely the union, what is sometimes called our mystical union, or more simply, if that confuses you, our relationship to Christ, a real spiritual connection that we have through faith. And Paul is simply able to repeat this phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, because he's building on what he's been teaching so far in his letter to the Romans. So let me just quickly show that to you. So this has given some ballast and significance to us this morning. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 6. You also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So this is setting up a key theme throughout the book. How does he expound that? You come to chapter 7 and verse 4, having built on his teaching about the gospel. Chapter 7, verse 4, he says this, So my brothers and my sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another. He's using the image of marriage. We're connected to Christ, that you might belong to another. To him who was raised from the dead and all that we might bear fruit to God. This union with Christ, this connection with Christ, this spiritual but real connection. And then chapter 8 and uh, verse uh, 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Or, to put it more on the positive side of what he's just expressed negatively, that is, if you have the Spirit, you belong to Christ. The work of the Spirit is to emphasize and to magnify and to regenerate the work of the gospel in our hearts so that there is a union with Christ, a real spiritual connection or chapter 14 and uh, verse 8 if we live we live to the Lord and if we die we die to the Lord so whether we live or die we belong to the Lord this union is so real so powerful it is even greater than physical death Uh, John Owen, the great theologian, put it like this. Union, our relationship to Christ, this union in Christ, he said, is the cause of all other graces that we are made partakers of. They are all communicated to us by virtue of our union with Christ. From this is our adoption, our justification, our sanctification, our fruitfulness, our perseverance, our resurrection, and our glory, all out of our union with Christ. In other words, this is a key aspect of defining what it means to be a Christian. And so, therefore, we must ask ourselves are we united to Christ? Are we in him? Do we have a connection to him? Is there a spiritual bond? 
This comes about through trusting Christ, but we can see through this teaching of the real union that real Christians have with Christ that it's not simply notional. It's not simply nominal. It's not merely intellectual. There is a genuine spiritual connection. And it is fundamental and foundational to what it means to be a Christian. One example of this comes from Paul's teaching elsewhere to the Corinthian church where he's urging them not to commit sexual immorality. And what he says there is by the act of committing sexual immorality, you're taking the body of Christ and uniting the body of Christ to a prostitute. In other words, what he's saying is this union with Christ is in a sense a barrier against immorality because we realize actually spiritually we are actually in Christ. Now, obviously, we don't see that physically, but there is a real union. Now, do you have that? Are you in Christ? Could Paul, if he was writing a letter to you, say, um, you know, greet Bill in Christ? Or could he merely say, uh, greet Bill, who um, is a very moral person and goes to a very good college and tries to be nice very often and comes to college church pretty regularly? Or could he say, greet Bill in Christ? It's not just a matter of feelings. Our feelings about our relationship go up and down. But underneath all, there is a true spiritual union. Your relationship to your wife may uh, go through ups and downs in terms of how, fe- how much you feel that you are close. But there's a real spiritual union. You know whether you're married. Are you in Christ? And if not this morning, let's just take a time out and let's make sure that happens. Would you... Seek Christ and uh, through faith become united to him. It is the definition of what it means to be a Christian, a real union with Christ. But of course the reason why Paul brings it in here is he lists all these friends and all these colleagues and all these co-workers that he has as an example that he wants the Roman church to emulate. The reason why he emphasizes over and over again in Christ is because he wants to not only define what it means to be a Christian but utilize this union with Christ which is the source of all our graces and all our sanctification and all our fruitfulness as a Christian. He wants to emphasize this union with Christ as a tool for this ordinary community to have an extraordinary impact. Look at it like this. Here we are this morning and there are many of us. And uh, perhaps in your small group there are people that you go along better with than other people. And perhaps um, there are various um, discussion points that are live in the Christian community on the internet that you have differences with other people about. Uh, Perhaps um, 
you feel of a different culture or a different race. Perhaps um, all this globalization that's going on in our world today is creating all this sort of clash of different civilizations, different cultures, and there are micro-communities that have their own culture that lob bombs over walls at other micro-communities of their own culture. Postmodern philosophy has an answer to that, which is there is no truth, there is no ultimate doctrine, and the result of that is a profound fragmentation for all that is then left is a post-truth world where all that matters is power and vying for power. That tool, that postmodern relativistic pluralistic tool is not working. The Bible has a different tool Namely, regeneration in Christ, the power of the gospel, and then in Christ, emphasizing that. In other words, when you look at another Christian, you look at them in a different way. You don't see their color. You don't see their age. One of the beautiful things about College Church is that we have people from 95 to 3.5. But you don't notice that. Not primarily. Of course, Paul knows these people. He greets them by name. It's not that he doesn't know them. He knows them personally. They're friends. But primarily, the primary thing about them, repeated over and over and over again, is not whether they have a Jewish name or a Greek name, but they're in Christ. And by emphasizing him and the glory of Christ, the majesty of Christ, the power of Christ, the beauty of Christ, by emphasizing that connection, by calling implicitly those who he is describing as in Christ to emphasize their relationship to Christ, by utilizing this tool, by, as it were, letting the majesty of Christ stand in the middle of the church, All our relationships are then brought close. For he is the vine and we are the branches. So I want to encourage you that this passage is far more than just a simple list of greetings by this emphasis on union. I want to do it in two other simple ways as well. There is another structure to this passage I want to mention, and it's structured in verses 1 to 2 as a commendation, and then verses 3 to 16, a greeting. And these greetings are actually quite interesting. Paul is a pastor, and these are his friends, and he's commending them, greeting them, and he has particular pastoral words that out of the granary, the apostolic heart, he sows into fertile field beautiful how he does it. I want to mention as much that I can this morning. So you have a commendation, verses 1 and 2, and then greetings. The commendation, of course, is to Phoebe. And Phoebe was a woman. Not only was Phoebe a woman, she was a deacon. That's what the word here designates, servant of the church in Cancrea. Um, very clearly, it means she was a deacon of the church in Cancrea. Now, at Cottage Church, uh, we don't have uh, women who serve as elders. Uh, we take the, the view that the Bible teaches that only qualified uh, males may serve as elders. 
But that's not the point of this passage. You could look at that in 1 Timothy and elsewhere. But here it is emphasizing that Phoebe was a deacon. And we do have women serving in all sorts of diaconal roles in the church. Uh, she was a deacon in the church in Cancrea. Cancrea was just a little down the hill from Corinth, uh, from where Corinth is very likely where Paul wrote his letter. And so he would have known Phoebe. And she's apparently now in Rome. There had been the own, their own refugee crisis, and the Jews had been expelled from Rome and now were returning. And she needed someone to commend her to the church of Rome, and Paul does so. Phoebe, he says, had been a patron. Uh, that's a sort of technical term in Roman culture and society. Probably at least means that she was a successful businesswoman. And uh, evidently she had exercised the insight and financial resources that come with that success to support the church and also support Paul. Now I want to underline this and draw attention to it because these first two verses are very important for those of us who take the view that I just outlined, uh, which is sometimes called the complementarian view. These verses are very important to emphasize and underline that Paul commended Phoebe. He wanted her to be held in honor. Commend, that is, stand with or stand up for. She was to be held in honor, and Paul wanted the Roman church to do so. Women have a very important role in ministry at College Church. There are many Phoebes among us. And we men are to follow Paul's example and commend such Phoebes. There are so many um, women in ministry like Phoebe was in our church that um, it would take me the rest of the day to commend them all. And then I probably miss one and I get a rather nasty email on Monday. But let me commend one woman to you who's not actually in our church, uh, but is in the church not at Cancrea, but at Cambridge. Her name is Pat, and she has been a Phoebe for many, many years, and I commend her and women like her to you. She's now retired. Should be, she should be treated in a way worthy of the saints, that is, as a real Christian, with love and charity and indeed respect. There have been many women like that down through church history. One is from uh, the Evangelical Awakening in the 18th century with George Whitfield and the Wesleys and Jonathan Edwards and all the rest. But what is often not actually emphasized and told is the story of the Countess of Huntingdon, who is an aristocratic woman who literally went around the country buying up property, buying up land. And when um, Bible-teaching pastors were thrown out of their pulpits or couldn't get a pulpit to preach from, she bought up land, she built churches, and she installed Bible-teaching preachers, the Countess of Huntingdon. She was described, she was commended at the time by the evangelical leaders as the mainspring of the revival. 
such as the ministry of Thebes, down through history right back to ancient times and indeed still today. And we men are to commend diaconal Phoebe-like ministry. Let me emphasize that. For churches like ours, we need to make sure that we hear this side of the coin too. Um, the second section is a series of greetings, and uh, they're rather fun names, aren't they? Priscilla and Aquila and all the rest. Let me just emphasize um, what we do know about them and what we don't, and perhaps those of us who love details will find it encouraging, and uh, all the names are quite interesting as individuals. Um, Paul greets by writing Prissa and Aquila. Uh, Prissa and Aquila were the husband-wife ministry team who had taught Apollos the Word of God more accurately and had helped Paul in his work in Corinth and were now in Rome. He greets Epinetus, who was the first to come to Christ in the Roman province of Asia. Uh, He greets Mary, um, probably a, a Jewish lady. He greets Andronicus and Junia. Either a husband-wife team, like Prissa and Aquila, or perhaps two brothers, we don't quite know. They were Jews anyway, Paul's kinsmen, and had suffered in jail with him. Many people have puzzled about the phrase that they are well known to the apostles, or among the apostles, as it could also be translated. But the word apostle means sent, And variations of that word sent are underneath various parts of our translations. And so it either means, as it's translated here, that they're well known to the band of apostles, or it means that uh, they are particularly good missionaries, the word missionary also meaning sent. Well, the list uh, goes on through the names. Uh, Ampliatus probably a slave or freedman. We do have a catacomb inscription of one Ampliatus. It could be him. He was beloved. That is, he was a good friend. Stachys is also beloved. Urbanus was a slave or freedman named and was a co-worker. Do you notice all the co-workers that Paul has, all the people that he's doing ministry with? He's a team builder, is Paul. Uh, Apelles, uh, we don't know anything about other than as what Paul says here, that he's approved. And if you're someone who likes to follow up Bible references afterwards, you might look at Romans 14 verse 18 for your notes about that. Aristobulus, of Aristobulus, um, rather than him himself. And it perhaps therefore means that Aristobulus was not a believer Uh, It is possible that he is the brother of King Herod Agrippa I. That's the case. uh, A name Herodian, which we have no record of any name like that, may well be a reference to an association that is a freedman in the service of one of the Herods. Narcissus uh, was a well-known freedman who had served Emperor Claudius. Tryphena, um, slave and uh, freedman names. They were perhaps sisters, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Persis, uh, another uh, slave or freedman, also beloved. Rufus may have been the son of Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross of Christ. And then all these names, Asyncritus, Phlegas, Hermas, Petrobas, 
Hermes we don't know anything about. Hermes was probably a slave name. Philologus and Julia, probably husband and wife. And uh, Nereus was probably their son and um, their two children, Nereus and his sister. And Olympus was probably in their household, their small group or their house church. So these are real people. When you come in the church and you're greeted, it is saying that you are welcome. And Paul here, as he uses individuals' names, is indicating to the church at Rome how they, in Christ, can have an extraordinary impact. Now, of course, there are many people here this morning, and you may be saying to yourself, how is it possible that I can have a depth of relationship with all these different people? Of course, in some sense or other, it really isn't, isn't possible. Sociologists say that you can only know about 20, 25 people at once in any regard with any intimacy. And that's, of course, why we have different structures, the adult communities, the small groups, so that we can get to know each other. But Paul isn't, by this list of 20, 25 names or so, indicating that everyone has to know everyone's name. What he's saying is, by holding up for emulation, as an example, this list of names, with the repeated refrain, in Christ. That there is a profounder, deeper connection that we have. Of course, this is why if you've traveled at all, as I have as a missionary or uh, preaching somewhere or other or just visiting other countries, you travel around and you go into a church and you're greeted. And you immediately know there is a spiritual connection. We have that together this morning. What Paul is doing is he's calling them to emphasize it and realize it. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. Would you this morning then, if you are in Christ, so emphasize and focus upon that relationship through prayer, through Bible study, through Developing your relationship with Jesus, that the power of Christ floods through you. And so, as a group of ordinary Christians, but united in Christ, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. So Christ, with His majestic glory, all other arguments of a petty kind diminish 
For our minds are so filled with understanding the glory of Christ that there's hardly even room for feeling annoyed about the clothes that someone wears or the political opinion that they have. Or There's such a greater union that our community is refreshed and renewed and then we're sent out in an extraordinary way to have an impact for him. Charles Wesley put it like this, sweet may we all agree, touched with softest sympathy. There is neither bond nor free, great nor servile, Lord, in thee. Love has all destroyed, removed all distinctions, made them void. Names and sects and parties fall. Thou, O Christ, art all in all. Ordinary community, extraordinary impact. Let's pray together. First of all, let's uh, take a moment to fill our minds with what we know about Christ. Perhaps the Sermon on the Mount and the brilliance of his teaching. Perhaps uh, his mercy to the blind man calling out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Perhaps his strength to confront the Pharisees and throw out um, the money changers from the temple and reform the church. Perhaps uh, his servant heart to wash the feet of his disciples. Most of all, his death on the cross and his resurrection. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement so that through faith in his blood we might be justified. Perhaps uh, the picture of revelation of Jesus as glorious. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Perhaps his compassion. He said, do not be afraid, I am the first 
and the last. I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Oh Lord, when we come to church, we rarely think of such things. We think of uh, all the um, practicalities of getting here and getting up and getting coffee and all the rest, and that, of course, is necessary. But the beauty, Lord, of when we actually arrive, of having our minds and our hearts reorientated around the majesty of the Christ in whom we have union. That somehow, Lord, we are in Christ. We are the body of Christ. I pray this morning that for the Phoebes and the ampliatus, the co-workers, that you would deeply encourage us with all the wonderful things that you are doing through us as a church, our missionaries, all the um, work with the disabled, the stars ministries, the small groups, so many things, Lord, because we're in you. And it's your work, and we are merely your hands and feet. Help us this morning to remember that, and glory in our union in you, and therefore our unity with each other. Old and young, black and white, rich and poor. We bow before you. Lord. Amen.